Welcome to the Jackie Service Show. I'm Jackie Service, where we are talking all things people strategy, entrepreneurship, and how hiring the right humans will unlock the next phase of growth in your business. As a former corporate VP of HR, my life completely shifted when I learned I had a brain tumor. From this moment forward, I knew that there was more. I dove headfirst into healing, mindset work, and spirituality. And from this space, my entrepreneur journey was born. Now I am a people strategist and founder of Serve Recruitment Agency, a boutique recruitment firm that helps scaling companies hire aligned leaders for growth. In this podcast, I'm going to share about my business journey, entrepreneurship, leadership, and how hiring the right humans unlocks massive potential. Welcome to the show. Are you confused about hiring? You're not alone. Majority of leaders struggle to figure out who they need, in what roles, and when, and how these people will have the greatest impact on the growth of their business. This is why we created People Strategy Sessions to do a deep dive into your business and help you build a clear roadmap on the talent you need to drive sustainable growth. We dive into your greater why, where you are today in your business, where you want to go in your business from a growth standpoint, and ultimately, who do you need to enable that growth overall? For more information, please send an email to Jackie at JackieService.com or feel free to reach out at JackieService across all platforms. Welcome back to another episode of the Jackie Service Show. This one's going to be a lot of fun. This is a brand new friend that I'm bringing onto the show today from a mutual connection of Dan Martell. Daryl Hicks, welcome to the show. Uh, Super great to be here with you, Jackie. Appreciate the opportunity. We are going to dive into some really interesting things when it comes to building companies, the twists and turns that you've been on in your own journey to really establishing business and successful businesses over decades, as well as really diving deep into your whole philosophy around employee engagement and culture and how having the right people on your team is actually one of the greatest assets when you are building and scaling companies. Mm-hmm. Before we dive into your story and how you got to be the CEO of FlexPay, I do want to start with a bit of a rapid fire, which allows listeners just to tap into who you are a little bit more and listen to some of your philosophies and and how you got here anyways. Let's do it. Let's go. Okay. Where are you from originally? Where's home? Where were you born? So born and raised on the east coast of Canada in a small little town called Moncton, New Brunswick. Uh, so northeast of Maine, for your American listeners, very blue collar, sort of working class community, um, you know, very sort of humble roots, but a great place to to grow up and, and have a family. Beautiful. Where do you live now? I live in Kelowna, British Columbia, all the way on the opposite end of the country been slowly migrating our way west um i moved to montreal when i was uh, 20 19 20 years old and i uh, lived there for the vast majority of my life and my wife i uh, was born and raised in montreal our three kids were born in montreal but uh, during the pandemic there was this great group of epic humans all founders who were all moving out here to Kelowna together 
and we came and checked it out a couple of years ago. And, um, you know, part of our responsibility as parents is to find really great soil to plant our family in where they can not just survive, but thrive. And, you know, the pandemic caused us to really question why we were living in a dense urban environment, raising a family. We loved the energy of being downtown. Uh, most of my team was located there in Montreal. We have beautiful offices right downtown on St. Paul Street in Montreal, cobblestone streets and 14, 15 foot ceilings and all that beautiful, like, you know, white marble and gorgeous offices, you know, that we invested a lot of money into. But then during the pandemic, you know, the offices are closed. And then all of a sudden we start hiring from all over the world. And next thing you know, it's like, well, you know, half of my executive team wants to live in Mexico for, you know, the winters, because why not? Canada, Canadian winters aren't, aren't really easy. So now all of a sudden I could move somewhere else. And here we are with this incredible tribe of, uh, of founders out here in Kelowna. It's been phenomenal. I keep saying that we get real estate listings every week from, from that mutual friend to <laughs> entice us that way as well. It just, we, my husband and I were there at the end of April and spent multiple days in the city and just the environment in itself just really breathes uh, life into you. There's this friendliness, small town kind of feel with these incredible business minds that all kind of collaborated and come together and in a, a town, a city that seems to be rapidly growing. So good on you. It's not easy to move your entire family across the country, especially in a oh. pandemic. So I'm sure that came with a lot of bumps and bruises. Um, but two years in, you're all feeling very settled. Yeah. I mean, we just came back from a trip uh, back out East to, to see friends and family. And one of the biggest comments that I got from all of our friends is like, man, I mean, your family always seemed pretty tight, but you're all so much closer. Like the kids seem like closer to you. You seem closer to the kids. And I think that's just because we've been so much more intentional and so much more active. Like we're awake surfing, awake surfing with my oldest son, who's 16 now, like two, three times a week. And my daughter's in horseback riding two, three times a week. And the boys and I are members at a golf club and we're playing golf together two, three times a week. And, you know, working East coast hours from the West coast means that, you know, my afternoons tend to be pretty open and I've been able to get really intentional about using that time for family, whether it's just going on hikes or whatever. Um, so if that's an unintended byproduct of the move, then I'd say we're doing pretty well because that's, that's amazing. So yeah, no, the seems like really the family is, is thriving. That's amazing. And what a gift to be, give, be given that feedback right? Unsolicited, just to say that that's kind of the feedback that people are feeling and, and seeing of this move. That's incredible as well. And uh, we have something in common. I'm a golfer too. So next oh. time I'm, I'm in Kelowna, uh, we will bring the clubs and uh, we'd love to get out and and enjoy some. I mean, I hear that the golf is just fantastic as well in Kelowna. Oh so yeah. There's more golf wait. courses per capita here in the Okanagan than anywhere else in Canada. And just like stunning, beautiful courses. I I'm terrible. I'm decidedly mediocre. I love the great. game. The game does not love me, but <laughs> um, it's great. It keeps me humble. That's for sure. It it changes so rapidly every day, which is life. Mm. But what a, one day, uh, you know, I can drive the ball 250 yards and the next day, you know, we're not sure what's happening with the golf, with the golf ball. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's All a right. Common experience. Oh goodness. What a game. It is humbling. That is true. Okay. Fave book, favorite book that you recommend to everyone, something that you love to get in the hands of other founders or team members who are growth oriented. 
probably this one sitting right here on my desk in front of me that I think about and quote all the time. It's a classic, you know, Napoleon Hill. It's it's incredible. I'm actually due for a reread on that, but it's one of the one of the first books that I ever read that I actually studied and had to go back through and create notes and highlights. And there's tons of content from that book that have really kind of shaped my life and my decisions, even as I was launching FlexPay, which was a bit of a departure for me into something much bigger and bolder. A lot of that was inspired by one of my favorite quotes in that book where he said, you know, dream no small dreams for they have no power to stir men's blood. And if you want to bring together an epic group of humans that want to do something really, really special, well, you have to have a big vision, a big dream of how you're going to go put a dent in the universe, big, big vision, big dreams, as Dan loves to say, no small plans. So I definitely right. subscribe to that philosophy in life. And, um, and yeah, I, I was inspired to that with, uh, from that book. Amazing. Thank you for sharing. It's a fantastic book. And to your point, it's one that you can reread multiple times and see something different every time you read it. I love mm. books like that, that you go back to. And just as you, as you have evolved as a human, you read it through a different lens and you can see things through that different perspective. 100%. Mm. That leads to kind of last question here with rapid fire, which is a mentor who has helped shape your vision or your perspective and how you see life. Hmm. Oh, I have so many. I there's so no, many. there's no number. You mm -hmm. can, you, you go ahead. Yeah. The first names that really come to mind is, well, the reason why I was a hard, quick yes to jump in and do this interview with you is because of the common connection that we have. We already mentioned his name two or three times and not that I want to like turn this into a Dan Martell love fest, but he's definitely been a, a mentor to me and a real inspiration. Uh, success leaves clues, you know, and inspiration comes through proximity, being close to people that have these really big, bold dreams and are just pushing themselves so hard has just been, I mean, they don't even sometimes realize that they're being a mentor or an inspiration just through the things that they do. But I've definitely been very inspired um, by Dan and the way that he lives his life and the people that he's surrounded himself with. I have another really good friend um, who I don't get to spend a lot of time with, but he's been a great mentor to me is uh, Jason Atkins, who's the CEO at uh, 360 Insights, kind of on a similar path to what I'm doing as a founder in FlexPay, uh, but just an incredible human being, deeply generous, you know, running a, a really significant venture backed technology business and yet does so much in giving back and charity work and helping founders and and teaching them the things that he knows. And he's just world-class at what mm. he does. Um, so he's been, he's been really, really helpful and, and a good guide to me. And, you know, honestly, I could throw into that camp, a lot of the, a lot of the people that I've got here in, in Kelowna with me, like even my buddy, Matt Bertulli, who lives like, you know, across the street, probably a seven iron away from my house. Um, has been, you know, someone who really kind of lights me up and his business partner, Brad. So yeah, there's a bunch of them, a bunch of them around here, but those are kind of the first names that come to my mind. I love that. I love that you've created a tribe of humans that are actually physically in the same location as you by conscious choice. You made that decision to pick up and, and move your family. It's a conversation that, that my husband and I have definitely had. We live in a smaller community where yes, there are business owners, um, 
not always people kind of pushing our perspective in the biggest way. And so it's been something that we've had a lot of conversations on is how can we go and really put ourselves into proximity with people who are having those dreams and visions that are substantially bigger than ours to help us level up as well. Yeah, exactly. And it's not just about, you know, more money, building a bigger business. It's about having a bigger life, a better life. Like I can honestly say that if it wasn't for some of these people that have my life, I would not be the man, the the husband, the friend, the father, and the entrepreneur that I am today. You know, they've really inspired me and pushed me forward. And everybody learns in different ways. Some people learn really well in a school setting, setting in a classroom setting. Some people learn really well through reading books and white papers. And some people learn really well from being surrounded by really great people. And I think we all are on a spectrum in all those different categories, right? Like it's, it's not that nobody learns anything. There's, it's not that there's people that will learn absolutely nothing from being in a classroom setting or learn absolutely nothing from reading books. But I've definitely found that for me, I'm particularly motivated and, and learn a lot from, from people, you know, having great people in my life. They've definitely shaped me. Mm, which leads so lovely into our conversation about flex pay, which <laughs> Before we dive into conversation around people and how people have really shaped that culture and that environment that you have built, let's give the listeners a little bit of a story as to how did FlexPay come to be? What was the ideation to kind of growth and maybe share a little bit of your background in Mm. entrepreneurship and building businesses and what brought you here today? Yeah. So FlexPay is my uh, seventh startup. Well, Eighth, if you include my window washing business, then I started when I was 18 back in Moncton, New Brunswick, but I'm not sure that one really counts. Um, but yeah, this is uh FlexPay was really born out of my previous business. So I'm a self-taught coder. One of these really lucky things that I had no control over whatsoever, but just happened to me when I was 14, my parents bought a computer and I had a pretty rough um, experience in school, got bullied and beat up a lot. And didn't really have a lot of friends in school. And even though I, I consider myself to be a pretty charismatic and social guy, I just really didn't have any of that in my life or very, very little of that in my life when I was a teenager. And so I just turned myself into computers and reading. There's no like for dummies, you know, friendly version back then either. It's like, here's a 600 page book filled with a whole bunch of technical jargon, but I really just got super passionate about it and leaned into it. And that created an amazing uh, foundation and platform for me to launch off and, and do other things. But um, yeah, I was every business that I was in as a co-founder or a founder kind of had a very strong technology component to it, um, like a tech-enabled sort of product. And I had uh, I was big into e-commerce and subscriptions. We were very early into that space in 2001. I had some co-founders that had a phenomenal business and. They were clients of mine. I had a, like a cybersecurity consulting business where I'd come in and build like custom tailored firewalls and network solutions for them. And I had these uh, clients of mine down in Florida who just had this incredible business um, in subscriptions. And I was like, man, I love your business way more than mine. Like self-filling bank accounts. The annuity business is so powerful. And uh, I was always in operations and tech kind of in the background. I was never really in the biz dev or sales role, but I was I was the operator and these were, you know, bootstrapped, organically funded businesses. So we had a maniacal focus on unit economics and, you know, gross margin and lifetime value and refund rates and decline rates on our customers. And, and we were operating at scale as well. Like 
we either sold to or serviced tens of millions of customers across four continents. We were really big in Brazil, the US, Canada, the UK, Australia, but probably 70% of all of our business was in the US. And when I had an amicable parting of the ways with my co-founders in 2011, I decided I wanted to stay here. A lot of them were moving abroad. And, um, but I wanted to really focus on building a team again and focusing more on tech. I launched a third party administration business. And what that was is I'd go to these big subscription brands in the US, usually publicly traded, and say, We're going to move all your customers onto my billing platform, all in house tech. Um, we'll connect into your merchant processing banks. And we had to go through, like, you know, all the Sarbanes, Oxley, and SOC2 and Visa DSS and PCI certification, all that kind of stuff. Like, it was, it was a lot of work to build out these platforms. But we'd kind of built it for ourselves and it was a natural sort of level up. And I would say to my client, and if uh, someone called customer service and they would press two for billing, uh, the call would get transferred to us and we would handle all the billing uh, concerns and questions and, and launch a save a sale, you know, customer retention sort of program. So, because if you think about a subscription, there's really only two ways you lose customers, right? Either they call you up to say they don't want the product anymore, or you can't bill them anymore because the payment's broken. And we got really, really good at solving both of those problems. And on the can't bill them anymore side, um, I just, you know, my network infrastructure and coding background kind of led me to being really curious and digging into like, why are all these payments failing? What the heck is going on with this? And it was quickly becoming the largest driver of churn for our customers and for our own brands. Um, so we started developing more and more tech around that. First version of what is FlexPay was internal use only, all rules based in 2012. But we went super deep down the rabbit hole on on failed payments and in 20 but the rules were turning into spaghetti at scale like if this then that if this then that you got all these decision trees and we said you know what if we started leaning into machine learning so it seems like every startup now is all about ai we're one of like mm -hmm. the og ai businesses where and we didn't get into it because we thought it was like you know sexy or cool we did it because we really thought that it was the right tool for the problem we already had over a billion transactions in a proprietary database with a lot of understanding of what drives failed payments. And um, so we decided to rebuild everything from scratch in our payment recovery tool, um, but using machine learning. And we saw this massive spike in performance. And I was like, oh man, I think, you know, it would be really fun to turn this into a standalone B2B SaaS product. And uh, I had just met Dan Martell in 2014. and. You know, he was teaching me a lot about what he had done in SaaS businesses, and this was in 2016. So uh, I decided to do that, kind of inspired by Dan and a few other people, put together an advisory board, raised some capital. Uh, I put in a bunch of cash out of my own pocket, and kind of, as they say, the rest is history. We, in 2017, I sold out all the other assets, divested myself of everything, and just went all in focusing on uh, FlexPay, which is a tool that uses AI to... Uh, analyze transactions down on the Visa MasterCard rails and invisibly recover them. We have a trademark on invisible recovery. So you don't have to ever talk to your customer. You don't have to embarrass them saying, you know, hey, your payment failed. Can we do something about this? Uh, we have a deep understanding of why payments fail and have a, you know, best of breed AI driven tech. We're now on like version, I think, 39 of our machine learning wow. models. We've deprecated 32 models already. And for the preference of the nine that we're using right now. And we have now, I think, over 7 billion transactions in a proprietary database to analyze and understand. And yeah, that's kind of the quick version of the, the FlexBase story. Incredible. Thanks for sharing just the background and how you got to where you got to today. And one of the things 
having a lot of friends in e-commerce and specifically uh, one of the things we hear a lot about is churn, right? And payments and subscription models and how those those are are no longer supporting. So if you're listening into this, guys, and you you run a business where this is a problem, hmm. welcome to a solution for you. Here's FlexPay. And I'm, I'm so grateful to just have you on to be able to share that. And also love the fact that machine learning was a tool for you back in 2014 or 2012, I think you said. 2016. It was rules based in 2012. 2016 was when we officially went to machine learning. You cannot open the internet today without seeing AI or machine learning across every headline. Curious question for you, just from more of a high level philosophical um, Mm. perspective, where... Where do you think machine learning and AI is going in in your particular industry, maybe SaaS-based businesses right now? Yeah, look, I don't think that there's any industry that is going to be immune to the effects of this. Some are going to be more disrupted than others, for sure. Um, And, you know, like that old cliche says, we overestimate what's going to happen in a year and underestimate what's going to happen in 10. And so I think you know, some people are like, oh, AI had all these promises. And now, you know, what's what's really actually been disrupted? Well, just wait, it's coming. And it's really starting to, to creep in. And it's gonna, it's gonna really disrupt a lot of things, I think. Um, and it's forcing us to focus on what is it that human beings really have that makes them special and unique. And as far as I can tell, that's really judgment. It's perspective and context, but making, you know, good judgment, and also to create right? Um, So, you know, I really encourage everyone on my team to be leveraging like the large language models and using tools like Copilot so that we can all become more efficient and more productive because, you know, AI is not going to come and steal your job, but someone using AI as a tool is going to steal your job, right? So you've got to really learn how to use these tools and level up so that you can be the highest operating, most productive version of yourself and, and spend more time kind of flexing those creative muscles that, that you can really bring to the equation. So that's where I see it, it going in the next little bit. I, I don't personally subscribe to the whole like AGI, you know, Skynet, you know, it's going to come in and kill us and destroy us all kind of model. I am deeply concerned about um, how fast this is all going and the societal implications. Like, I don't know if you've seen that uh, YouTube that the guys from the social dilemma published called the AI dilemma. Yes. I think they make yeah. some really great arguments on the societal impacts, unintended second order and third order consequences of this. Um, so I'm I'm keeping an eye on that and thinking a lot about, you know, where, you know, how do I what are the guardrails that I put around this for my kids, for example, right? And, you know, and encouraging them to use the large language models in their everyday life, but spending a lot of time thinking about that. that's a, that's a rabbit hole. We got to be careful. I know we, can, like, we could really, but, it's yeah. a, a podcast. I've actually been asked a couple podcasts I've been on. That's been one of the core topics is when it comes to jobs and thinking about people in particular, how is this, how is AI going to be impacted from a, from a job standpoint and the quote that you just said, which is, hey, AI is not going to come and steal your jobs, but people using AI will, is fundamentally at my my core, my belief system as well. So that in itself is, is just something that 
I would agree with you that there's going to be no industry that isn't somehow interrupted in some way, shape or form. And I am glad that you went that way and almost made a blanket statement versus just going down SAS. Cause I would agree inclusive in the world I live in, which is people, talent, recruitment, massively impacted by AI already. And I think it's only going to continue to go down that way. For sure. Amazing. We are aligned. <laughs> so I read, I mean, there's a lot of really cool bios, but your bio specifically stood out to me. And there was one quote within the bio that really caught my attention. Mm -hmm. And it's this, that 50% of your current employees are investors in your business. Mm. That is wow. the first time I've ever seen that <laughs> in 20 plus years of reading really cool bios. And that was a showstopper for me to just say, oh my gosh, I want to unpack that a little bit with you and get a better understanding as to why that is a reality within FlexPay and how building and establishing cultures is at the forefront of everything you think of. Yeah, that was a super humbling uh, moment for me when we were launching a funding round and... Uh, a few of my employees reached out privately and said, hey, we're super bullish and excited about this. And we want to be here with the team long term. And we really believe in the product. And we think that this valuation is super cheap. And we'd like to kind of have the opportunity to come in really early. And some of these were people that were already in my ESOP, my employee stock option plan. So they were you know, being dripped in gifted uh, stock options every quarter on a vesting schedule. Um, but they're like, no, no, we want to actually, you know, own some of the pref stack and invest. So, um, and then I just said, well, you know, very much aligned with our values. Like we're not gonna, we're not going to just like keep this to like a secret, you know, internal club. Um, if we're going to let two or three employees invest, then we have to at least put the offer out. And I did my darndest to explain to people that <laughs> investing in, uh, a privately held business is not for the faint of heart and the mm -hmm. death rate on startups is extremely high and that you should absolutely not be investing any capital that you can't afford to lose. And even brought in um, the uh, the VC who sits on my board, the general partner at the VC who led our seed round and had him come in and join me on the Zoom call to, to like pound that message down even further and try to scare people off. But I think people really enjoyed the transparency, which is one of our core values is radical transparency he kind of stole that from Ray Dalio. And mm -hmm. we've got our own little spin on it. Um, we were very, very transparent with like, you know, the good news, the bad news and all that kind of stuff. And I think that people just really responded to that. But 100%, the fact that people were willing to invest out of their own pockets, like even, you know, the the lady who was working as a receptionist and office admin, she even like, you know, borrowed a few thousand dollars from her dad and, and insisted on investing. And I'm like, really? I'm like, okay, here we go. Um, that the only reason why that happened was because we'd been doing the work for years before that to invest into culture. And this is something that every knowledge base industry takes pretty seriously these days. It was a pretty novel idea back in 2011 when I started to really, really double down on, on culture and, and the reason why I was so focused on culture is because I had a terrible experience in my previous business when, you know, we had this third party administration business that we wanted to start, but we had a call center before that, which was kind of doing a lot of that at scale. And I had lost control of the 
of the vibe and the energy and the culture. And, you know, I'd come into the office every day and I didn't even really want to see a lot of the people that were working for me. I just run straight for my corner office and go hide. And it was terrible. And so, you know, when, when we were winding things down and selling off assets during an exit with my uh, co-founders in 2011, when I came into, you know, starting my own business back as a sole proprietor and hundred percent shareholder again, I was like, I don't want to ever create that experience ever again. Like I want to, every day I walk into the office, I want to be thrilled to see every single person in here. And I want them to be thrilled to see me and their other coworkers. And I want it to be just like a little bit uncomfortable for everyone and that everyone is bringing their A game and their elite players. And you feel like you got to bring your A game too, because, you know, this is a really fun tribe. And I, you know, I didn't think that that was going to be sustainable or scalable at scale. But if you want to build like a 50 person, 100 person team, I think absolutely you can. And I've changed my tune on that now. I think you can you can stretch the upper boundaries of that even more by being really, really careful to curate and hire based on values and fire based on values, which is something you hear a lot out there, but really hard to do in practice. But we really hold to really, really strictly internally. And it was all that investment into company culture um, that that led to, you know, all of a sudden now we've got this great, incredible team that's thrilled with the business and with the people that they work with and they want to jump in on this opportunity. So we can talk a little bit more if you want to on like some of the tactical things that we did along the way to build culture. But I definitely think it was, you know, really great, vibrant company culture first, super unexpected surprise, second order benefit of, you know, employees wanting to invest in the company later. To me, that's what it screamed. So as an outsider reading that and looking in, Having led culture, had culture under a portfolio of things that I owned and, you know, Fortune 50 companies and kind of mid-sized companies, and now working with a lot of CEOs and startup founders, culture is something that gets thrown around very rapidly. And, uh, you know, back in probably 2012, culture was on every uh, news feed or we were talking about company culture and how culture was, was going to take businesses to the next level. To break down the word culture, because I think ultimately culture can mean different things to different people. Through your lens, what is company culture? And then to your point, I'd love to dive in a little bit to some of the tactics around what are some of the foundations you put in place that actually unlocked the company culture, which then led to this unexpected outcome of having your employees say, hey, hands up, I deeply believe in what we're doing here. So much so that I'm going to go into my own pocket and write you a check. Yeah. Um, I think, so to me, culture, I, I create a really distinct division between HR and culture. HR is all about, you know, do we have the right health plans? Do we have the right contracts drafted? Are the employees sufficiently protected? Are, is the company sufficiently pro protected? It's the, you know, all that kind of stuff, the blocking and tackling 101. Culture is all about the experience. What's the experience of showing up, the lived experience, the feeling, and the day-to-day -day interactions that, that drive your experience working in the business? That's culture, first and foremost, to me. And it's not to say that there isn't some crossover and bleed over like HR is responsible for onboarding, but what's the experience of the onboarding? How does it make you feel, right? Do you, and so when you think really carefully about the values that you want to celebrate, 
are those values showing up? Like we talked about one of our values being radical transparency. Okay. So then you look at onboarding through the lens of radical transparency and how can, how, how are you going to make sure that as employees are getting onboarded, that that's the feeling that they get, that that's their actual experience as well as the, the feeling that comes with it. So that's, that's to me what culture is in a nutshell. It's like, what's the experience of actually showing up here? And, and I feel very strongly that, you know, the values that you have that you define should be 70% actual, real, tangible, like what it is today, and 30% aspirational, and not so aspirational that it's like, okay, yeah, you're feeding me a, a bunch of, you know, baloney, because that's not at all what the experience is here in the business, right? But just a little bit beyond where it's like, this is what we're leaning into. This is where we want to go. This is the direction. And it's a little bit aspirational. And maybe that's not your experience right now. But this is, I want to be really clear that this is where we're going, right? So 70%, everyone's like, yeah, absolutely. That is my lived experience every day here working at FlexPay. 30% like, okay, this is what we're kind of leaning into a little bit. Um, so yeah, to me, that's that's that. that's culture. I've had so many times where, so I, I grew up, let's call it an HR, right? And I love your delineage of like, Hey, this is HR. And this is just actually a company wide. We're all living into culture. I joined, um, I worked for PepsiCo for years and then I left and joined a midsize organization. And one of the mandates that they had on my, you know, CHRO title was fix culture. <laughs> and I, <laughs> great, happy to take on the energy of culture but let me be clear about my perception of culture, which is every single human that walks through the door every single day has a choice, a choice on how they're leaning in, a choice of how they're, how they're showing up. And so to me, culture is the collective of every one of those choices. And yes, we can create, to your point, um, the lived experience and some stretch goals around like, hey, here's what we're trying to lean into and here's what we're trying to create. But ultimately, the lived experience is the culmination of all the energy of the humans walking in the door every day. Mm. And I love the delineage for you of saying like, hey, this is actually a company wide, you know, yes, ultimately, you as founder CEO feels it's I'm sensing you feel like you own culture, own the strategy of what culture is. Uh, And then every human that walks in the door, to your point, that's broken down into your hiring of who the people are that come in, who the people are that stay, who the people are that have to leave goes hand in hand with the foundations of culture at the core, which I love. Yeah, absolutely. And and look where we get bogged down as founders of like where it's like where the rubber meets the road. How does this actually happen? What does it actually look like? And I had to learn a lot of this the hard way. And then fortunately it was really well surrounded with some great mentors who kind of guided me through, but you know, Jim Collins, you know, there's that famous analogy where he's like, you know, the right people on the bus, the right, you know, off the bus and everyone in the right seat. And and you realize quickly as a founder along the way that that's not enough. You also have to create the right environment for them as well in order to thrive. Like I think of cultures, like if you imagine an aquarium filled with water and you have all these exotic fish and the exotic fish are your high-performing employees, the water is the culture. And if the water gets really murky and dirty and it's not being properly filtered, then the fish get sick, they get sluggish, and they're looking for any opportunity to get the heck out of that aquarium and go somewhere else, right? So maintaining a really like clean water, it's what really holds us together and allows us to get through really tough times as well, right? It's the it's the little pieces of metal that connect the armor together, not the actual big beads of the of the armor that you think really protect you. It's all that connective tissue that pulls us together. 
And there was a book that I read by Eric Reese, which I absolutely love, The Lean Startup. And he had this quote in there that kind of started me down this journey of like, what am I going to actually do in creating culture? Where he said, the foundation of any culture is process. I was like, foundation of culture is process. Thought of like process. I thought of culture as being kind of like this, like wishy-washy woo, sort of like, you know, hey, we all love one another. We've got these vision and values. Is there really possibly a process to this? And so that looking at through that lens, I went and started interviewing other founders who I looked up to as having world-class culture. And sure enough, I discovered that there were certain tactical things that they were all doing that they had in common. And then I said, okay, great. Uh, and it wasn't just a complete, like, you know, rip off and duplicate, you know, copy paste of what they were doing. But once we kind of distilled these lessons, we said, okay, how can that inform what it is that we want to do? And I came up with basically three things that you need to do uh, that founders need to do if, to create really great culture. And that's define, decide, and delegate. So define is you got to write it down, right? Um, Google talks famously about like, you know, when you want to create great culture, you start with the four corners of a puzzle, right? If you have puzzle pieces and you want to build a puzzle, how do you start? Usually you look for the corners and then you look for the sides. So that's the job of the founder. That's the job of the leadership team. You have to write down and the four corners of the puzzle are vision, values, purpose, and BHAG, right? BHAG is that Napoleon Hill quote, quote that we already talked about, like dream, no small dreams, the big, hairy, audacious goal that really lights people up and makes them feel inspired. But the, so, but the values critically must be co-curated. You can't just say, okay, these are going to be our values. It's really important to go out. This is what every organization that I was interviewing was doing is they went out and they would, and they would be challenged by the team. And it's like, and this is like the 70, 30 that we were talking about. I was like, okay, is this, you really a reflection of your lived experience? And do you agree that this is aspirationally where we should want to drive to? Um, so that's defined to the decide that's where like, you know, the co-curation on the values comes in. Mm -hmm. And what that looked like in our company is we would like make posters and we say, okay, this is our first draft of our values. And we'd have posters hung up all around the office. And some of them we had to put in like kind of private areas where, because people were shy and we'd hang Sharpies on everyone. And we'd have people kind of like strike things out or ask questions or like put plus ones and check marks next to certain things. We would talk about it during town hall. We did everything we could to try to extract. And sometimes it felt like pulling teeth where it's crickets and no one wants to put their hand up. But slowly over time, several months of discussion around this, we were able to get feedback from people and buy-in on this. Um, so that's the decide piece, you know, leadership gives permission, sets the tone and ultimately owns it. But then the most important piece is the delegate your employees make it happen. And so that's the middle of the puzzle getting filled in, right? The founder of the leadership team never takes care of the middle. Like once you've, you know, written down the four corners and you've decided on the values and they've been co-curated, you really have to turn it over to the people and, and what that looks like in most companies that I interviewed is uh, a culture committee. They, they might call it different things. Right. Uh, generally, it's about one culture committee member for every uh, eight to 13 employees. Usually it's no more than like six or seven people on the culture committee. They don't get paid any extra to be on the culture committee. They're asked to allocate about 10% of their work week towards culture activities. And they're given the budget where they take all of the, they, they look at the live values, they gather feedback, from the team to make sure that they're that this everyone's aligned and everyone's bought in. But then it's their job to deploy budget that comes from finance to create all the different events throughout the year to organize, you know, the big all hands meeting once a year, um, everything to do with culture. And then they gather feedback. 
And then what I do is I actually had my EA sitting with a permanent seat on the culture committee. Culture committee, um, we started out with doing elections where people would record a video and then uh, we would all vote based on who had the best video and they would earn a seat on the culture committee. Later on, we started actually assigning people who were kind of volunteering and we wanted to get people from like leadership management and, you know, people that are just working in the trenches, like, you know, like the coders and engineers try to get representation across, you know, various departments in the, in the, on the culture committee so that we can get everyone, everyone's feedback and everyone feels like they have a voice and it would rotate every year. But my EA always had a permanent seat on there and she would make sure that she was communicating to me any issues that were coming up. And as I would have discussions with my leadership team and I felt like there's stuff the culture committee would need to know, she was kind of my conduit to make sure that that was all in there. And this this follows, if you think about it, kind of like the 10-80-10 model that's really famous with a lot of founders, like 10%, it must absolutely be started by you, 80% done by someone else. The last 10%, you come in just to make sure that it's all going exactly the way that you want it to. And so that's kind of the model that I was taking. Well, if that works in a lot of other things for founders, we could probably do that with culture. But ultimately, you you are responsible for it. You own it as the founder, as the CEO, as the chief energy officer, as the chief culture officer, but you don't do it. You're responsible to make sure it gets done and then it's done right according to the values that you've you've defined. But it's it absolutely has to be the team that has the ownership and really bought in and makes it happen and makes it go. And that's where I see a lot of founders kind of struggle and stumble is they start to lose steam as they're trying to do it all of it themselves. And they've got all these other responsibilities as a CEO of a business and hiring and capital and marketing and all these things. So yeah, that's kind of how I came came through it. I love it. Thank you for sharing that and giving some specific tactics on like the role that you play when it comes to culture specifically. I'd love to just follow up on a secondary question around that because you mentioned it around what your role is within culture as the CEO. I'm actually curious holistically when you look at your role within the company in general, what role do you feel you play as CEO versus what do you hand off and delegate to your executive team and then their teams in order to own holistically as well? I ask this because I have a lot of conversations around the CEO, COO dynamic Mm -hmm. and the CEO letting go and allowing kind of operational teams to run with their specialized kind of what they're most uniquely qualified as. Um, Yeah. So look, delegation does not mean that you are no longer responsible, right? The CEO owns it and is responsible. If somebody doesn't have a great experience, right? Culture is experience. If somebody doesn't have a great experience at the company, it's ultimately ultimately my responsibility. I've got to own that, right? I don't think that the CEO ever has the ability to give that up. They need to own it. But again, it's critically important that the day-to-day of the decisions are being done within that framework that you've defined, right? And we revisit every year, like, you know, are these values really still serving us? We just went through this project a few months ago where we came up with a, a new iteration on the values. The, the core of it, like the roots of it didn't change, but the fruits kind of changed. The way that the values manifest themselves inside of the organization was refined and polished and kind of shifted based on, you know, where the business is at and the needs that we want to have. And so you got to give yourself permission to kind of go and do that as well. But then once that's defined, it's up to the the culture committee and all the individual employees to make sure that they live it. And we all, we all end up policing one another, right? Like 
One of my favorite things is when you hear an employee say, well, we don't do things like that around here, right? When there was gossiping and someone talking behind someone's back and they're able to call out the specific value in the organization that they're in breach of. We don't do things like that here. That's how you know that it's starting to work and that, and that it's gaining momentum and it's never perfect. It's always messy, but it's, you know, it's moving in the right direction. Iteratively, you can see it kind of like trending in the right direction, right? Mm. I love that. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your perspective. And I love when you start to hear it in the language that others are using and you hear them cue back to it. That's when you know it's beyond the poster in the boardroom and it's actually mm-hmm. starting to be lived experience to your to your expression. I love that so much when you start to hear the language that's just being innately used amongst the culture itself. Yeah. Super, super important. Last question, how do you leverage culture and values when hiring great people? How does that go hand in hand with your hiring process? Yeah, so just like values inform onboarding, you know, values inform your day-to-day lived experience, values inform your 360 reviews, if you do those, you know, values inform everything. Culture and values also inform even like the interviewing process, right? Where we go through and we take a look like, you know, all of our our five core values, are they really being properly represented? Super important to go with your best foot forward. We are uh, fortunate enough to have some really good testimonials and recordings of uh, videos of employees talking about their lived experience inside of the company. And it's not for everybody. It's going to turn some people off and that's okay. That's what you want. Part mm-hmm. of like, you know, getting really, really clear about your values and, and what they are, even in the uh, in the hiring process, is that it, it creates that filter, right? Where people are now understand they're hopefully coming in eyes wide open of what it is that they're signing up for. And how we know what's working is that once they come in, we always, we have a tradition in our business that the first town hall after uh, 30 days that a new hire has been with us, we asked them like, you know, about onboarding and about hiring and what, how's the thir- first 30 days been inside of the organization and what's the value that you see showing up the most and, and also what are the things that we could have done better? And it's hard to get that, you know, constructive feedback, critical feedback, realistically, like they're in front of the entire company on a team's call and they've only been there for 30 days and they're still in the honeymoon phase. We are actually looking for constructive feedback, but I'm just saying like, it's okay if you don't end up getting it, but no, a hundred percent. Like we are really intentional about making sure that the values and that the, even the hiring process, we even like, we have the values right there, even in our job descriptions. And when we're going out and campaigning and like, this is really, really important to us. And we don't just pay lip service to it. Look at these videos and testimonials of like people that are already inside the organization talking about it. You can interview other people inside of the company if you want to, but this is who we stand for. And this is, this is what we stand for. And this is what we don't stand for. If that sounds like a fit for you, great. We'd love to have more of a conversation. I love that. I love that it's even within the branding of how you show up mm-hmm. externally as well. And you're not hiding it. You're saying, hey, here it is. Here's who we are. Here's what we're about. And I love filters like that from a hiring process standpoint. You might as mm-hmm. well get rid of the low hanging fruit now so that they don't hit your pipeline. Or I'm a big believer in source talent. I don't think the best talent is always applying to great roles. Um, Sometimes they do, but it's about hunting and inviting people in. And so I'm a big proponent of having true strength and brand because it gives that testimonial to the people to say like, hey, 
I'm just here inviting you into a conversation, but listen to the people who work here every day and listen mm-hmm. to these testimonials. I think that's such a um, differentiator that you're doing that I don't see a lot doing in the market. So congratulations on that. Yeah. And, and we didn't have testimonials when we first got started. Right. But now that we've been investing into it for years, we've been able to get more of that stuff. And so, you know, our head of people is slowly in an iterative manner, gaining more and more sort of, you know, fuel for the fire that allows her to do better and better as we go. And it really does build upon itself in all kinds of interesting, unexpected ways, like the, you know, 50, over 50% of the employees investing into the company kind of thing. Right. So. I love that. That's something that will always stick with me in this conversation is mm-hmm. yes, it is the outcome of a lot of incredible work that you guys are doing at FlexPay, but uh, Daryl, I'm so grateful for you to be here today and just share your wisdom and experience with everyone tuning in. If somebody wanted to one, get in touch with you or two, learn more about FlexPay, what are the best ways to get in touch with you? So obviously our website is flexpay.io, lots of information available on there. Um, my email is Daryl at flexpay.io. So just the way you spell my first name, D-A-R-R-Y-L at flexpay.io. So you can always email me if you want more information. I have, um, I don't do a ton of public speaking, but when I do, it's usually either on the topic of fundraising for startups or on company culture. And so I have some videos where, you know, I've spoken to like groups of hundreds of entrepreneurs and it's recorded. And if anybody wants any of that kind of material to kind of like just hear me go a little bit deeper on it, I'm happy to kind of share that so they can just reach out to me by email and I can send it over. I I had so many people help me along the way. Um, Lots of things that I know nothing or very little about this isn't one of them and i'm super happy to share what it is that i know for the very small subset of humanity that can actually benefit from it so and thank you for giving me an opportunity to talk about something that i'm so passionate about it's great it means the world and so many are going to benefit from this it's it's company culture in itself is just a topic that to your point i think getting more education on or listening to how others before you have done it is, is just incredible. And I love that you're having a full circle moment where yes, you've sir, you've, you've had mentors that have helped you along the way. And now you're in a position to be able to go serve so many. And I'm grateful. I had an opportunity to interview you, Daryl. It's been an absolute pleasure and I can't wait for the friendship to continue. So thank yeah, you. Yeah, Same here. Thanks, Jackie. All right. We'll see you again next time on the Jackie service show. Thank you for listening in to today's show. If there was a key message that landed with you, please share or send us a direct message on Instagram at Jackie Service and let us know. We love hearing from you. Also, to continue to keep this podcast growing, it would mean the world if you could take a minute and like and rate the show or share it with a friend. Our team is forever grateful. Until next time, we'll see you again on the Jackie Service Show.